made it. The five-week gap between Premiership games is nearly over. But before attention turns to Sale's forthcoming trip to North London and Saracens, we have the small matter of a rare Sale win away at Welford Road to discuss. In conditions that could best be described as biblical, Sale battled to an impressive 18-16 win over Leicester on Friday night, ending their three-game Premiership Rugby Cup adventure with an impressive scalp. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank. And joining me to discuss what is hopefully a sign of things to come on the road is Alex. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, mate. It's uh, it's nice to do two weeks in a row. I feel like I'm finally growing back into it. So hopefully by the time we're back in the Premiership, I will also hit peak form. It's great to have you back after a prolonged absence, but unfortunately we're unable to welcome James back to the podcast. And it feels at the moment like it's been a very long time since we've all been able to get together on the pod. I know, I know. It's um, well, it's it's coincided with the Premiership absence. Clearly, none of us care enough to. Well, I mean, you didn't go here one week, but um, although did you miss one? I did miss one, but I was on holiday. Yeah, can't be helped. Um, yeah, really, oh, swanning <laughs> over to Poland, weren't you? But yeah, you know, I think once we get back into the Premiership, we'll uh, we'll definitely start. I do, I do wonder if the absence of Premiership rugby does play into it a little bit because we've been texting James all week sort of getting a sense of whether or not he's going to be available for this podcast and he said oh it's touch and go it's touch and go and I think really what's happened is he's seen the game on Friday watched the highlights seen how there's not really much of note to discuss and said can't be bothered this week so James if you are listening we are very disappointed you, you couldn't uh, you couldn't fight through what was probably a very very poor game to be with him, be with us here today yeah doing your important work <laughs> That, that old excuse then. That old excuse. Well, we've we've actually already printed it, but it was a contest on Friday that was mitigated significantly by the, to be frank, dreadful conditions. And it was actually Sales Pack that drove the team to victory with two tries from the Rolling Moor, including a 76-minute penalty try, ultimately enough to secure the four points. However, despite Sales' late score, there was still time for drama as Tigers fly half Tom Hardwick missed a 79th-minute penalty to gift the Sharks a well-deserved win. Alex, how important was it to pick up at least one victory in this competition before the Premiership comes back next week? Yeah, I think, you know, we we had a bit of form um, coming out of the Premiership through the Challenge Cup and then we sort of hit this competition and that, that game against Worcester was, was you know, we, we all probably accept that we were never going to win it. Um, but... You know, then we, we draw at home against Saracens in a game we probably should and could have won. And then you go in back into the Premiership in a massive game away at Saracens and then a, another massive game at home to Northampton. And, you know, there's so much to be said for the sort of mental aspect of the squad feeling. I remember um, Dean Schofield, when he was at Worcester, I think, in that year, um, that they went down and just couldn't win. And they came to sale and just said, you, you don't know how hard it is to just not be able to win. And, you know, that builds week on week on week. And I think when you've got a winning squad, that just feeds into the rest of the squad. So, you know, a win away at Leicester is nothing to be sniffed at because for the players, it's like, great, we've won at Welford Road. And, you know, we, we weren't playing a great Leicester team, but it is a win. And, you know... A win in this competition means that everyone's sort of feeling a bit more positive going back into the Premiership, I think. So I do think it's important from that point of view. I mean, this competition is is not one you know we're taking massively seriously. We're not 
you know, really going for it, and we don't need to at all. It's very much development competition, and we've got a good academy to develop. But I think having that sort of attitude around the squad of we're a winning team going back into the Premiership does actually have more effects than perhaps you know if we lost, we'd be saying uh, you know yeah, we're not really uh, not really that bothered about it. But actually, it's you know there's there's sort of no downside to it really. We've got to win. I don't see what, you know, we haven't had any injuries really come out of this competition. I know we've had injuries from the internationals. But, you know, I think, I genuinely think it's been a pretty positive sort of week and last few weeks as a sale fan. I think it's looking up and now we come back to the Premiership in a much more positive mood than we left it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things to sort of take away from this result uh, and the overall break for the Premiership Rugby Cup as a whole I think what is important is that the first two weeks where Sale lose away at Worcester and draw at home to Saracens is very much not a first choice team that's out and so if you actually look back at when we've broadly been playing our first team which we were on Friday apart from the obvious absentees who were on international duty or injured Sale have now won four games in a row for the first time in in probably quite a long time I won't uh, I won't step on your toes with the uh, with the stats Alex but you think back to that Newcastle game at home uh, at the end of the first block of Premiership fixtures, first team's out, they get a win. They then play the first team in two Challenge Cup games and win both of them. And now they've brought the bulk of the first team back where they can for this game uh, away at Leicester. And they picked up another win. And obviously the team that will play Saracens on Saturday is going to be very, very different to the team that lost by 30 points away at Worcester. And you have to think that there is probably something, and it's hard to quantify, obviously, but there has to be something between the core group of first-team players all playing together and now having four wins under their belt. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, they they will feel much better about it because we really did sort of have that moment earlier in the season where we thought, mm, it's, all, it's all looking a bit, a bit rosy at the moment. And, you know, they... They've won games, and we've I think we've balanced it quite well. You know, we've brought players in when we've needed to, and you know what we've got is a winning first team. But what we're going to bring back in is a, a Fafty clerk who's just won his most recent game in South Africa, um, and we've so like you're adding that international sort of clout, yeah, clout, and uh, you know. He's in form and he's, he's just won a game. Bringing that back into an already winning team, and I just I, I do think you know let's not overstate our expectations away at Saris, but longer term in the Premiership, I, you are right. It's a good point that the first team has effectively won four games in a row, and you know I know it, it's not a four game streak, but that's almost better because you've not got the media going oh on a six game winning streak, you know, or on a four game winning streak, really going. Yeah, say all right, sorry, we haven't got a hope. And I think we still sort of benefit from that underdog tag at times. Um, and I just hope we can we can prove a few people wrong. And, you know, when you look at the squad that's going to go into that game, I think we should be pretty positive about what kind of result we're able to get. Not necessarily what we will get, but what we're able to get. Yeah, I mean, I think my, my other second main point, which I preempted uh, a few minutes ago with regards to this game, is this idea that the last couple of years there's been instances where Sale have perhaps been struggling in the Premiership and they've used the bulk of their first team in the Anglo-Welsh Cup as it was then or the Premiership Rugby Cup as it is now to sort of build that, that momentum and build that platform. And obviously now with the Challenge Cup games in hand as well, 
we basically built a four-game winning streak, which we now take back into the Premiership. And as you say, I like to talk about being able to go to Saracens and get a result of some kind. The fact that Sale of, I agree, use this competition very well to rotate the first team, rest some key players, but still have enough key players for the bigger games to build that momentum up should hopefully mean that now as we resume the Premiership, Sale are going to be in a position that they were back in the 2012-13 season where they came off a, a pretty poor start to the season, played the first team all throughout December and January in the Anglo-Welsh Cup, actually got some wins under the belt, and then were able to build off for a pretty successful second half of the season. Obviously, the sample size is a lot, lot smaller here, and obviously we're a lot earlier in the season. But it, it does seem to me that Sale have done really, really well over the last six weeks to manage the squad and get some momentum on their side. And now we go back into the Premiership. Saracen's way is going to be a very, very tough game, which we'll get to later. But you, you sort of get the sense that we've done, we've managed the competitions that we're competing in much better than we have previously, where we've done okay in the Premiership and then completely thrown caution to the wind, played academy kids and peripheral first team members in the Challenge Cup, not built a campaign there, which we have to remember, Sale are very much in the running for uh, a quarterfinal sp- uh, spot in the Challenge Cup. And they've not particularly paid much attention to Anglo Welsh, that's, that's fair. It's probably the same with the Premiership Rugby Cup this season. But what I've actually done is say, well, we're going to give these young youngsters a chance in the Premiership Rugby Cup. We're going to bring some key first team members back for this last game. We're going to get a win, and now we're riding a bit of a well, as I said, a four game four game winning run with the first team players playing into a, into a very critical set of fixtures on, uh, on that begins on Saturday. But those are our key points that we wanted to raise with regards to the game. We will touch upon the game in a little bit more detail momentarily. But as always, we asked you, our loyal listeners, uh, what you made of Friday night's game. We've got some very interesting questions. Uh, so we've got some very interesting responses which reflect very accurately a lot of the main points that we've just uh, made. Uh, Perry says horrible weather conditions. Uh, Jordan Murphy, spare underpants time. Uh, Manco, win at Tigers. Very, uh, very straightforward. Gavin Allwright, RDP's got a boot. Lee Watson, momentum building win. JPB, wins equal confidence. Ben Sweeney, summer sport anyone. And Simon Holman with uh, the honour for worst pun of the week. Pre is right. Pre is right. He, he, Alex can't even understand what he means. He's trying to go for price is right. Uh, God, it's been a long old Monday. Sorry, mate. <laughs> well, to be fair, the uh, commentator on the highlights uh, video for uh, Sale Leicester on the Premiership Rugby's website called him Prees. Yeah, Prees. Like yeah, Robert Do Prees. <laughs> um, yeah, did you say Jordan Murphy? Jordan, I'm assuming that's not the same. No. Jordan Murray, Jordan Murray, who apparently needed a change of uh, change of undergarments whilst watching the game. It was quite a quite an exciting finish to the game after what was a pretty boring first sort of seventy minutes. There's no other way to put it. It's terrible conditions. There's not no opportunity for running rugby. It was very much uh, a gritty, grind it out sort of win. And then obviously at the end of the game. You have Sale capitalise once again on their set piece, which ran very well throughout the game, to get over the line, and then all, almost throw it away from the, uh, the resulting kickoff. Yeah, I think it's on the positive side. We've got a rolling more going away at Welford Road, which is a lovely sight to see. 
Um, yeah, on the negative side, I suppose we were realistically very close to losing that game. And I, I, you know, I think when you looked at the teams on paper, I don't know what you think, but I thought we probably should have really beaten them. Um, they're not really a club in form. And I think our team was realistically quite a lot stronger than theirs. I don't know, what, what was your thoughts on that? I thought Sale probably on paper had a marginally better team. I don't think it was as cut and dry as Sale have that the first team out, less of a rotated team out. But I think it's fair to say that even away at home, there was enough quality in the Sale team that would suggest that Sale should get a win. And you only have to sort of look at the back line with Robert Dupree obviously debutising at 10, uh, Denny Solomona, James O'Connor. There's some very exciting international qu- quality players playing in this team against some very you know similar quality players in Leicester's team, but without perhaps quite the same sort of star ability and sort of uh, sort of law to the game that Sale had. But obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the, the conditions effectively mitigated any sort of form either team would bring into it. And it did beca- become a game of grind it out, wear and tear, very sort of forward-orientated rugby. And this is exactly the sort of game that in recent years Sale have lost because their traditional strength of a, of a bruising forward pack had been displaced by a much more attacking, running rugby style of play. And what this result suggested to me is that actually Sale, and I think it's important we, we mentioned Dorian West here, is that Sale are starting to get a balance between that free-flowing, attacking style of rugby that we all love to watch at the end of spring uh, and at the uh, end of uh, August and the beginning of September with this hard-nosed, gritty, win-at-all-costs, win-ugly style of play. And I think it's really encouraging that Sale were actually able to pull out a win in the conditions that we saw at Welford Road, especially since we can, we can easily say, even with a first-choice pack, that's still not Sale's strength. Sale's strength is still throwing the ball around. But the fact that we're actually getting, getting to a point where we can get the rolling mall going and we can beat a team up front and can effectively bully our way to a victory is really, really encouraging, especially as we go back into the Premiership and we're heading into winter where the games are always going to disfavour teams like Sale who like to uh, run around and throw the ball around. Yeah, I think right. When you look at that Tigers pack as well, actually looking at it, I mean, I do think we're, we're slightly higher standing in the backs um, in terms of, you know, if you look at Leicester's back line, realistically, the only names that you would ever be sort of worried about a Kyle Eastman who's not really played much this season and mm. is very out of form in the long term um, and Adam Thompson who's sort of a standard friendship player where say they've got Solomona O'Connor Leo Terdepree Will Cliff Sam James like you know I think we, we, we've we definitely got a bit more quality in the backs but if you look at forwards Leicester you've got Bateman Youngs Cortez that's probably a friendship starting um, front row, Kitchener in the second row, Mike Williams, Guy Thompson in the back row. So actually, Will yeah. Evans as well. Let's let's not forget Will Evans, who's been in and around the England squad. Yeah, so I, you know, that that is very positive that we've gone and done that to that Leicester pack. I think because you know Leicester never never have a bad set of forwards, and they put out a pretty good one there. So yeah, I I, I do think we are going to have to adapt our game, but 
think it might have been whenever whenever Dorian West was appointed, it might have been the week you were away. Actually, I think me and James said. Yeah, it when was. Because um, even though I sat in a bar in Krakow, I was still breaking sale related news. <laughs> the commitment is uh, both impressive and um, somewhat unbelievable. Sad is the word you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's also an option. Um, but we said when you judge him, and I, th- I think me and James may have said I might remember this wrong, but I think we said, you know, when you look at where we are coming back into the Premiership, and you go, he's had quite a lot of time to bed in, so just make his mark on the team. Realistically, the true test will be Christmas after a few weeks of Premiership rugby again. But, you know, if you look at him at this point, the impact he's had, it's been, you know, I think quite impressive. And it's almost, we have this tendency to bring people in mid-season and actually they make a pretty great impact Dan Bray being the probably the original but Marlon Yard last season Yard, yeah. very much changed our season and, you know I think you, you've got a fair play story in West and I think it proves a lot of the people who sort of gave us a lot of grief for signing him would be inside line wrong because you know I, I think it, you'd be hard pushed to say that He's had anything other than a really positive impact. So, I mean, we assume it's him. It could, it may well not be, but I think it's been a pretty, um, there's a pretty strong correlation between him coming in and our performances, especially in the forwards, getting a lot better. No, absolutely. Well, obviously, we're, we're trying to search for meaning in these Premiership Rugby Cup games, and I think being able to analyse a performance like we saw on Friday is probably vindication of what Dorian West, presumably has been working on with, with the self-forwards and this idea that I find it very hard to believe that eight or nine weeks ago before West was the forwards coach at Sale, we'd be able to go to Welford Road in those conditions and do what we did to Leicester's part, which, as you very correctly pointed out, has plenty of premiership calibre talent in it. And I think it's obviously difficult to know because we don't know exactly what's happening at Carrington week in, week out. But I think it is fair to say that we can look at the, the hiring of West now and, and see it as the boost that we needed for our forward pack. And like you said, the, the main test is going to come over the next couple of weeks. But it will be really interesting to see how the team adapts, especially as the ground gets a bit firmer and the conditions get a little bit poorer. And your set piece, your maul, your scrum gets an even greater premium placed on it because it's going to become so much more important to the outcome of games since you're not going to be able to throw the ball around to James O'Connor and Van Rensburg and uh, and all these other players but obviously I still think you can throw the ball to Van Rensburg to be fair mate I think you can throw the ball to Van Rensburg in any weather you can throw it to him underwater and he'd still make metres <laughs> well we've sort of chatted a little bit about the impact that Dorian West has made especially over the last couple of weeks um, but we obviously asked uh, we sort of talked about this last week but do you think there are any other players now that we've got that extra week of uh, first team game time to analyse that have put their hands up for contention we sort of mentioned Aaron Reid last week obviously it wasn't the sort of game that he or anybody would be able to make an impact in um, but obviously we've sort of spoken a little bit more about the forwards is there anyone that you think has potentially put their hand up for selection as we again cast an eye to the, the premiership fixtures that are coming up for sale um, I think Tom Bristow has been pretty impressive in sort of doing what he was brought in to do which is back up Ross Harrison Yeah, uh, I, I think that's been a pretty positive signing um, and 
so he's not forced his way into the first team because I don't think he's going to displace Harrison but I don't think he was ever brought in to displace Harrison I think he was brought in to give Ross Harrison break for five minutes from bloody first team rugby so you know I think that is it's, it's a weird one that because it's not like all oh, they're forcing their way into the first team but he's very much establishing his place on the bench and yes fair play he hasn't got a lot of competition if any competition realistically but um, I, th- I think you have to say been impressed with the way he sort of settled straight in and started making a bit of an impact um, who else I think Matt Postlethwaite's had a pretty good sort of overall two probably two weeks really three-ish but Realistically, I think um, I think last week's performance and he's probably backed it up a bit this week. James Phillips, I thought, um, has made his case as a wet weather player. Um, I think he will probably end up being in the second row. There's an interesting point, actually, this is going very much off at a tangent, but talking about Josh Strauss um, in the Scotland game, someone made the point on Twitter that he's probably... Um, suffered a bit from playing with Evans and Beaumont who hang around in the wings all the yeah, time yeah definitely he's, he's sort of almost becoming in, coming into that role because that's how we play when we've got Beaumont on the team and I think Beaumont is very good in that role and Strauss isn't um, so it's an interesting one to see how we go with our second rows because Postlethwaite and Phillips is a really heavy weight second row for our you know, those horrible games on a wet Friday night or whatever. But there is no way that, you know, I well, I don't think there is any way they'll be brave enough to try it in a premiership game. No. But you think there's an argument to be made that do, do you pick the best players you've got or do you pick the players for, you know, the, the game you're playing? And if you're at home against a team, you know, like a team with big forward pack, say, uh, Gloucester's maybe not a great Saracens. Saracens. Yeah, Saracens. And, I mean, we're away against Saracens. It's on the 4G pitch, so I think you'd probably still argue that you can have Evans in, would you? Um, but, you know, say you're at the AJ Bell, it's a pretty stodgy pitch, you know. Like... What benefit is there in playing Evans in those games, other than I suppose the lineout work, which is probably yeah. I mean, that's too. that's the crux of the matter for me. I think, and th- and actually, I want to talk about George Knott. So this 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 will be really interesting. Actually, we'll have the conversation lead into it. But Bryn Evans, for me, the advantage with him is obviously his lineout ability. He's the lineout captain. He's very good in the A. He's very good at stealing stealing possession. But I think, and I know it's easy for me to sit here and say this, but I think the knock on Evans is that he doesn't do the carrying and the tight that you need a four to do. He's superb in the air. He is, at, even at 32, 33, he is one of the best line-out jumpers in the entire premiership, and he's been a very astute signing. The knock on Evans is the fact that he doesn't offer much carrying, apart from out in the wide channels. And he's actually a very good um, asset to have playing out on the wing and supporting the likes of Yard or Solomon, depending on which wing he's on. Because then it creates a mismatch against the wingers, and obviously Evans is able is uh, has got a decent offloading game as well. But I think the problem is as we go into wet weather games, and a premium is placed on your carrying in in in, in the tight. I don't think he is the right player, and that's why the, James Phillips was signed partially because he is that player. Now Phillips is not a lineup jumper, although 
uh, contrary to what people were telling me on Twitter, he has actually been part of the, the line as a jumper this season. The problem is Phillips is very good at that, but he isn't. He, he doesn't offer that lineup threat that Brent Evans does. Brent Evans is a fantastic lineup player, but he doesn't necessarily offer the, the go forward that you need. And I think you, you're right on Josh Strauss is that that's not necessarily his role. Josh Strauss would be a lot more impactful if he had another second row in addition to Phillips that could also do those carries in the tight. So it's not just Strauss having to do it. And Strauss can start to pick uh, pick his opportunities to burst the line, which as we saw on Saturday, he can do. But I think what's really interesting, and actually, one player who has not been given much opportunity at all to play during the Rugby Cup is, is George Knott. And it's really interesting. We were talking about this on, on Sunday off-air. It's really interesting to see that the fact that he was the only unused substitute on Friday, which sort of suggests that Sales still don't necessarily know what they want to do with it. Is he a lock? Is he a flanker? And the way I've always viewed Knott as a prospect is that he's a very, very good prospect at flanker especially as a compliment to a heavy, bulky second row because of his ability to line up jump. He's, he's almost sort of a five and a half in that he, 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 he's he got a bit of grunt to his game, but he's also a fantastic line out jumper and he's quick. And that's why I think his skill set is better suited to six in, in, alongside a very heavy second row because then actually he can effectively substitute for James Phillips given that Phillips isn't going to be the jumper at the line out. But I think that was really interesting. We were obviously just talking about players who have maybe put their hands up for selection. And to be frank, there's not many who are likely to force their way into the first team based off the last three weeks. But it's interesting to see that George Knott out of everyone looks like he might be the furthest away from anyone who might have uh, had a chance to push his way into the first team. Yeah, and it's interesting because you, you would have thought, and um, we probably would have thought going into it, that this would be his opportunity to push his way in. and. To be fair to him, it's not that he hasn't taken it, it's that he hasn't been given it, if, if that makes sense. He hasn't, but he hasn't been given the chance to make his claim. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame, really. I, I, I don't really... I don't really see what... what. Yeah, you're right. What is the plan? What? How are we playing him? How are we using him? Because, you know, it, it very much seems like he's not in the first team but then he's not in the backup team but then he's not really a sub um, if, we've, if we've got our first choice sort of team out so well just to bring another conversation thread in because we said we were uh, off air we were going to discuss this is the news that broke over the weekend that Sale are apparently in fact not apparently we, we can confirm are in talks with Jean-Luc Dupree brother of a certain current loan player at Sale uh, who is uh, a flanker for the Sel Sea Sharks in Durban, in South Africa. And what's really interesting about Jean-Luc Dupree is that he's very much a flanker. And what we were talking about on Sunday afternoon was what does this mean for George Not if he's not getting played at lock, and it's actually Matt Postlewaite who's getting the chance to start after Bryn Evans um, was forced out of the starting lineup against Leicester at the last minute. So Postlewaite's going in in front of Knott into the second row and Knott's not getting used in the back row. And now Sale are in talks with Jean-Luc Dupree uh, to join the club on a short-term deal to cover the injury uh, sustained to Tom Corey, which is going to keep Tom Corey out until January. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I really like the idea of signing Jean-Luc Dupree. I think, obviously, I can't imagine it not happening now that we have already signed Robert. 
brothers in rugby tend to move around together. I think that's uh, that's an established fact by now. But it is really interesting to see that we'd signed Dupree effectively as cover for Tom Curry, and then you rotate Dupree in with John O'Ross and, and Ben Curry in the six and seven spots. But where does that leave George not? Because surely, if he's not getting a chance in the second row, it might indicate that he'd have the chance to start or at least get some appearances in the back row, especially with Tom Curry out. But it looks like that's not going to happen either. So it's a it's a bit. It's an interesting situation for someone like not who who was an ideal breakout candidate for the last couple of weeks that have take that have just gone by with the Premiership Rugby Cup. But it just seems that there's there's a, a lot of different things happening, and you do have to wonder whether or not the rumours we heard a couple of years ago about not potentially leaving um, to go and play in Wales, um, you know, have might might start up again. Yeah, and I think you you wouldn't blame him either because. Of- I mean, we're frustrated at the lack of opportunities getting. So, you know, you can only imagine that he is, you know, as if not more frustrated. Um, yeah, and if we do bring in Dupree, you really struggle to see where his role is because, you know, he's it is just you. You're absolutely right. It's, it's it becomes sort of redundant, and I think it, we will end up seeing him leave if if that is the case. If it continues like this. It's a massive shame because he's been quite a bright prospect for quite a long, well, you know, a, a few years. So, um, yeah, you know, it's not like us to be critical of the club, but I do think it's just that he's not got the opportunity. And they've been very positive the last few weeks. Anyone listening? Um, we 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 assume Steve Diamond listens because he keeps doing what we suggest. So, yeah. Sign a covering loose end, Steve. Fair enough, I'll bring in Tom Bristow. Well, he signed a cover fly half in Robert Dupree. And obviously, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of Dupree, let's, let's go on to, to Jean-Luc um, just, just briefly. Again, it, it, in theory, he'd be joining on a short-term three-month loan deal to cover the uh, off-season in South Africa. Obviously, as we discussed last week, there might be potential for a long-term move afterwards, uh, especially given that the 2019 Rugby World Cup is, is upcoming. And in theory, if Jean-Luc is not part of the Springbok team um, that participates in Japan, there it might be the incentive for him to secure a long-term deal in the Northern Hemisphere. But what's really interesting with, with Jean-Luc Dupree, actually, is that he's the younger brother of Robert. So Jean-Luc is only 23. And he actually has 13 Springbok caps. Now, we were sort of joking on the podcast last week that Robert Dupree has been signed as his tier one international fly half with his solitary uh, his solitary cap for the South Africa coming uh, against Wales in, in Washington. However, Jean-Luc does have 13 caps and he, he's amassed them over the past two years. And he was a very, very highly touted prospect in, uh, in South Africa, especially a couple of seasons ago. And he's gone on to have an impact with the Springboks. And although he's not been selected um, for the box since Razi Erasmus took over the team, he is probably still a player that we could safely say is on the Springbok radar. And it would be interesting to see how the negotiations that we would assume are taking place with both Jean-Luc and Robert about a move to the Northern Hemisphere after the World Cup. It'd be interesting to see how they would differ given that Robert is very, very much on the periphery of the Springbok team, unlikely to, to get a call up for the 2019 Rugby World Cup, whereas Jean-Luc has a genuine chance of making the team. What do you think, Alex? Do you, do you, do you think this move could benefit Sale in the same way that it would uh, that, that it potentially will in signing Robert Dupree? Or do you think we should look at these, even though there are two brothers who are signing, 
look at these signings as being very, very different given the stature of the player uh, on the on the domestic form in South Africa? Um, I think the the intention is very much the same because we signed Robert as a cover for AJ because one of our big players got injured, and I think well from what we seem to have heard, John Luke is sort of being signed as cover for Tom. I know he's not the same position, but in terms of the way we shift our back row around, um, you know, he, he comes in as a flanker who, he, Tom Curry's out until January, and we bring in another back row. Um, so it sort of is, I think it, it very much wouldn't, probably wouldn't have happened, because if you've got Tom Curry still fit, I think you sort of go, well, where where do we put him? And then what happens to the development of the Curries? And, you know, we have to have Johnny Ross in the team and Sean Luke doesn't really play eight. So then do you put him in at seven? But then sacrifice one with two massive talents in this squad, especially Tom, who's England international, and Ben, who's been one of our best players over the last year. So I, I think, you know, it, it would be great as a long-term signing in terms of we do need a bigger squad and I think we've operated on too small a squad for too long and it's starting to we're starting to be found out for it um, so having that depth at six because realistically if, if we do bring him in on a permanent deal it's Ross and then Dupree are battling for six the Currys battle for seven Strauss and Beaumont battle for eight and that's a pretty strong back row um, well pretty bloody strong back row actually Um but in, in, at the moment, I, I would think that it's a very useful signing and it works because we already have Rob. But I think, you know, I think we've signed him because he's Rob's brother and we need a flanker. I don't necessarily think we've gone out looking for that kind of player, if that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, that could be, again, as, as I caveat all the things I say, that could be also <laughs> Um, but it well, I think it very well with what we need now and then what we need next year, but not necessarily, you know, if we were desperate for, you know, a flanker. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm confused. Well, I think the way I've sort of looked at this signing is potentially as an indicator the team are keen to keep playing John Ross at eight which we have said multiple times we don't think is the right idea and we think Ross is a much more effective player at six. However, as you were going through the back row, I sort of started to fall into place for me and this idea that if you have Jean-Luc Dupree to play six, a Curry to play seven, you could potentially then rotate Strauss and Ross at eight. Now, obviously, we've seen actually that sometimes they have opted to deliberately play Ross at eight and, and go for a, a very mobile back row. Uh, and we've actually seen instances where Josh Strauss has started the game on the bench even with Josh Beaumont playing. The only way I could sort of see this working is a long-term move, as you rightly said, Alex, is Jono Ross is to play eight. Josh Beaumont is to go back to lock. Josh Strauss is to be a finisher or start games depending on the conditions and Jean-Luc Dupree is, is coming in I mean it gives it, as a six but obviously it gives Sale the potential to rotate and as we said Sale definitely need a bigger squad and having these genuine tier one quality players playing and competing with each other each week is fantastic for what the club is trying to do 
But at the same time, I have a horrible feeling that if Jean-Luc Dupree was to join on a, on a full-term basis, which obviously, as we must caveat, there is no guarantee he will do, it would probably suggest to me that we might start seeing John Ross a little bit more at number eight, which given Ross's in his you know mid to late 20s and given that Josh Strauss is in his early 30s I don't necessarily see as a long term plan because I think John O'Ross is fine to spot star at 8 but I don't think we should be planning for 3 years down the line when Tom Curry and Ben Curry are 23 Jean-Luc Dupree is 26 and John O'Ross is 29 I don't think I don't think we should we should be considering Ross as the answer long term at, at number 8 and I think that's the only thing that, that that would worry me about potential big money signing for Jean-Luc. Yeah, it very much depends what the what the money is, and I think we do need. You know, we've invested in our backs, and we probably if we get, especially if we get well, three, um, I think we're pretty much there with um, with our backs. But our forwards do need some more investment, and probably we would to be in the front row and the second row but that's not necessarily to say that you know if we are going to become a, a premiership winning side which I think is very much the vision of you know Orange and Mason and everyone else then I, I don't see the damage in having you know Ross and Dupree as your sixes because I, I do think Strauss is still Yet to, we've yet to see the best of him, but I do think he could be the number eight we need. But we've just not seen it yet, and I think that's maybe part of the reason that they're bringing Ross in at eight. That you know, it's hard to pick Strauss at a in those games where you need a big ball carrier because he's not been as effective as we expected. So when you're trying to get you know you kneeled in, kneeled into the team or whatever, something like that, or two curries on the flank. Um, and you want a bit more bulk at eight, and you, if you're not going to pick Strauss, then realistically Ross is your only option at the moment. Um, so, unless of course you put James Phillips there, but I'm not sure that would work. Um, so no, I, 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 I would like to see it as Dupree comes in to compete with Ross for the six jersey, um, assuming you know we have the, the solid cap and the funds and. You know, we're, we're competing at the right level to do that because yeah. if you're playing Champions Cup and Premiership and you're competing on those two fronts then I think you very much need that level of depth now at the moment we're not so it makes no sense you know, at this point in time really to have that kind of depth in a position where we're actually okay at the moment but once, if, if long term if we are really serious about getting top four then you need you know strength and depth in every position so I, I think it would be a really good long term signing um, but let's see how it goes in three months he may not want to come to England you know you, this might not happen yeah you know uh, yeah we haven't even signed him yet have we yeah there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of maybes the other maybe obviously is that John Ross played a fair amount at seven for Stade Francais he is someone who can cover all three back row positions and that is also potential that you might be able to get both Dupree and Ross playing at the same time uh, especially alongside someone like Josh Strauss that give you a lot of uh, ball carrying in the back row the only problem is if you're playing John Ross at seven you don't have a, a traditional jackal and whilst I don't think John Ross is a bad jackaler I think there is a a tangible benefit of having either one of Tom or Ben Curry in the back row to do nothing else but 
tackle players and get get over the ball because then that frees up John Ross to do what he does very well, which is tackle players and carry uh, carry a ridiculous amount uh, both in the tight and out wide. Um, so, but anyway, Alex, we, we've sort of gone off a little bit of tangent here since we were talking about which players have made an impact during the Premiership Rugby Cup. But we've spent a lot of time talking about current internationals, first team internationals, uh, and potential internationals joining the club. And you've uh, you've got a bit of a, uh, a treat for the listeners this week along those themes. Is that correct? Uh, treat is a very um, optimistic word, but I do have a quiz. So if you like quizzes, and Lewis has really solved this well, if you don't like quizzes, then that is false advertising, but you can't sue us because we don't have anything um, other than the intellectual property of the Shark Tank logo, which I think, you know, um, if we lost, then... Well, you've, you've already had that battle once with the Shark Tank marquee, haven't you? We won that, so... Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. I, uh, I didn't think of it like that, but so far, the Shark Tank podcast is 1-0 for uh, who gets the naming rights. <laughs> the IP battle um, yeah so I have um, put together what I think is probably the most obscure quiz I've ever done of uh, obscure internationals who played for Sale Sharks um, so what I'm going to do is and we're very much going to run with this Lewis given that um, it's just us two uh, I'm going to say a country in a position and you have to name a Sale Sharks player who fulfills that position Okay. So, some of them, there are two. Um, there is one who, if you get, I, I will buy every listener who comes up to me at the Bristol game a pint because, well, there's no way you'll get it. So, um, I don't have enough money to fulfil that promise. So, um, I really hope you don't get it unless you've been, you know, reading up on on. You're obscure internationals, but shall we just get into it and uh, see whether I'm about to very much regret making that statement on the podcast? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's just uh, let's just say as well that we're definitely not going to edit that <laughs> that part out. Alex has made his promise; it's enshrined <laughs> forever in podcast history. Uh, and obviously, uh, following the end of this episode, please let us know how you got on the quiz. We uh, we we thought we'd definitely try and bring a quiz back this week to try and once again encourage listener engagement and we really it is really interesting to see just uh, just how shallow our knowledge of South Sharks is especially in comparison to some uh, people who uh, who are very wised up on their Sharks history but yeah so uh, take it away Alex yep so I will um, read out a country and then a position um, and then if you I mean since it's only you you may as well just say the answer if you know it yeah. if you don't I will tell you the answer um, and yeah listeners if you do the same We'll make sure we give you enough time to think, or just use the pause button on the podcast, actually. Um, would be a much easier way of doing it, rather than us pausing and leaving some dead air. Um, and then we'll have a look at the scores and see who's beating Lewis. And I assume all the people who beat you will tweet us and tell, tell us. Yeah, definitely. Um, right, okay. Uh, let's start with Georgia Hooker. Uh, Shelva Mamu Kashvili. Oh, he's had, he's he's one and oh, he's, he's smashed it there. He's now equal with our uh, our intellectual property success record. I'm pretty happy yeah. with that. I'm pretty happy with that. He he he, uh, he was on the bench for Georgia as they lost to Italy at the weekend. There you go. There's there's. Uh... Yeah. That is. Uh, I, I I'm always tempted to award you a bonus point for that uh, piece of trivia, but oh well. <laughs> right, Tonga, flanker slash centre. Um, 
Oh, what was he called? Is it is it like Silo Martins? Oh, you've preempted another question there. You should have told me that. Ah, uh, so so I've not got that one right, have I? Is it is it final? Is it final answer sticks? Um, no. Well, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to get. I don't think I'm going to get this one anyway. Um, I'll go with the answer now. Then it is Epi Tyone. Um, no, who genuinely used to be listed as flanker staff centre in the program. It used to amuse me every time I went to Ashley Park. I should have said um, uh, I should have said Johnny Leota. I'm pretty sure he played a bit of flanker for the Jets a couple of years ago. Yes, he did actually. He's, oh, he's, he's New Zealander. Um, okay, so next one, um, USA fly half. Mike Herkus. Oh, nice. Sorry, I really should be. I really should be given a bit more time so other people can have a have a go at this. But I, I don't know. I guess if you know it, you know it. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested that you haven't taken advantage of the bonus point on offering this question. Wanting to say AJ McGinty. Yes, correct. I think. I think. Uh, I think my streak of mentioning McGinty in podcasts is now must be about thirty-seven weeks because we always. We always yeah, well, find a way to get him involved. Well, it was definitely before he signed as well. You, you've been talking about him and James O'Connor for about three years before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2014, you were tweeting about McKinsey and O'Connor at a 10-12 partnership. Um, right, uh, Fiji, number eight. I know this one. I know who yeah. it, I know. I know who it is. I can see him in my mind's eye, but I haven't got a clue how to say his name, and I don't even—I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, did he play? It was—he played for us after Shabal, and he yeah. was both brilliant and terrible in equal measure. Correct. Yep, and he left after one season, I think, to go to France. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Ah. No, put me on my misery. I'm, I'm not going to get it. All uh, right, well, please, any um, Fijian or otherwise uh, people who you know, pronounce things, forgive this pronunciation, but I think it's Sisa Koya My Bowling. Ah, you see, I was going to say Koya Bayoti or something like that, but I'm, I think I'm thinking of the uh, the winger who plays for um, for Australia as well, which is why I thought I'm not even going to tr- I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> what, Dane Hale Petter? <laughs> Reese Hodge. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, um, Spain winger. Oriol Ripple. Correct. Yeah, a, I was really player. hoping that one would come up. Yeah, well, it had to, didn't it? I mean, to be fair, you didn't give anyone any time to answer that, but if you don't know that, then yeah. who are you? If you don't remember him scampering over after Charlie Hodgson pulled that absolute dummy of a drop goal off against Leicester in the final. Um, what a day. Right, uh, Tonga Scrum Half. Tonga Scrum Half. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop getting ahead of myself and give people a chance to, to answer. So I'm going to vamp for a few seconds. I can't remember his surname, but I'm pretty sure his first name was Elvis. Oh, no, mate. You've already said this one. Oh, see, it's Seal Martins. Correct. Ah, you see, you, you pulled the switch on me there. I know. Ah. Didn't even tell you. Um, That's good. Uh, are you thinking about this semi elite? That. Yeah. What a man! Great name. 
used to wear his socks around his ankles and just both tear defences apart and then also he was actually quite good I think anyway uh, right I will now go with um, this isn't too bad one Russia second round got to make sure I don't think about the ice hockey player uh, Kirill Kuhlman correct yeah that's it Whose Twitter? Here's a, here's a bonus point for you. His Twitter uh, icon, because for some reason I was looking him up the other day, uh, is still the promotional image that he featured on in his one season with Sale. It was a Christmas game against Exeter, I think, and he's wearing he's got a very poorly photoshopped Christmas hat uh, on his head, and it's still his Twitter profile to this day, uh, five years on. There are a few dodgy Santa photoshops, Santa hat photoshops that year as well. God, we moved on from that. Um, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, you have missed a bonus point on this one, though. You're not impressed with my, my Twitter icon knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a bonus point for that, but you've also lost a bonus point on the fact you haven't mentioned your favourite second row from Russia. I mean, the only second row from Russia I know is Andrei Oshtakov, so surely yeah. it's... Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought that one was very obvious. Too obvious. Yes, yeah. It's so obvious you didn't even need exactly, to. Exactly, exactly. Um, right. So I'm going to end on the absolute howler. So with this one, um, bit of a. Uh, it's not an obscure country, but it's England winger, one cap. England winger, one cap. Hmm. That is a great question. So surely not, surely not Steve Hanley. I'm sure you had a few more caps. It is Steve Hanley. Oh! Wow! I yeah. always, I always yeah. assumed that you would have had a couple of, like, just a handful, a bit like Denny Solomon, who has sort of three or four. Yeah. No. Um, I think, I think it was in that game against Wales uh, at Wembley in '99, if I'm not wrong. Um, That's impressive. Yeah, and I think he's got a try. Um, but then, obviously, Scotty Gibbs ran, ran through us, which um, that, that could be utterly wrong, but I'm sure if it is, someone will correct <laughs> me. But, um, uh, you know, sod it. Oh, no, that, right. was, that was a great quiz. So how many how many points were on offer? Um, you've got one more question yet. You've got oh. the opposite howler. Uh, so there were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 points on offer. Okay. Um this is the 11th point. Right. right. And this is one that if you get, I have to buy it all while listening Everyone to Everyone a pint, yeah. Slanko number eight, started with that bit, because that's the more reasonable bit. Czech Republic. <laughs> Czech, Re- Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Even I was shocked. I didn't know this. I didn't... I genuinely did not know they played rugby in, in the Czech Republic. No, well, when I went on his Wikipedia page, it was it said he is one of two Czech rugby players. <laughs> <laughs> so sounds about right. To be Czech fair. rugby player, that is amazing. No, I mean I've got absolutely no idea. But do you think you should tell everyone? I don't know because everyone can just look it up anyway. No, go on. I've got, I've got, I've got no idea. I'd be amazed if anyone got got this. Right, I will tell you what. We'll, we won't reveal it now. We'll let listeners think about it. If you're listening to the pod now, 
tweet us immediately and tell us the answer um, and we'll be mightily impressed and maybe retweet the first one um, and then I'll reveal it in five minutes or so um, after we've done the Saracens preview um, so total score uh, out of 11 I believe mate you got 8 which is pretty uh, pretty impressive actually that's amazing uh, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely very proud of that I, I, yeah. I did not think I was going to do very well yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite impressed so well done um, so 8 so eight's the score to beat um, so tweet us not only the name of Czech rugby legend um, but also your scores and um, we'll see how they go have a little look on the pod next week well we just spent a lot of time talking about international quality players and Sale's next opposition is a team renowned for its top quality talent they are missing a few players <laughs> I've been I've been practicing my, my hope was to get the uh, get, get some adulation off James because he's always very high on uh, on your segues but obviously fingers crossed well obviously Saracens are going to be a very very different side to the one we're accustomed to watching on a week in week out basis however James, even though he can't be with us today, has very helpfully put together the Saracens team that he believes has a chance of playing for sale uh, on Saturday. And even with the likes of Maka Runapola, Billy Runapola, Jamie George. Oh, I had an echo there. Billy Runapola, Jamie George, Maratoji, George Cruz, Owen Farrell, Alex Zazowski, although he's suspended. I, the list could go on, and that's just the English uh, internationals. Even without all those players, Saracens still pack a team that is absolutely crammed full of top-quality talent, including Titi uh, Lamositelli, who's the current who's tight head for the USA, Will Skelton, Michael Rhodes, on the periphery of the England squad, Ben Spencer, also on the periphery of the England squad, David Strettel, Alex Good, uh, and Brad Barrett. There is a lot of talent, even on an off week for Saracens. And it is going to be a Herculean task for Sale to get anything out of the fixture against Saracens, especially away on Saturday afternoon. But Alex, surely... I know we've just listed off all the players that Saracen's missing and all the players that they still have who are top quality. But surely this is the best chance they'll have had in years to go down to at the Allianz Park and get a result against Saracen's. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you look at our team and the form we're in and the players we've got available um, against against Saracen's, you, you, you would think that we'd be able to at least compete um, which will be a nice change because for a long time we've gone down to Saracens and just not competed. The, the frustration, well, not the frustration, but the problem is that Saracens have got so many players who probably should be in the England squad and therefore, even though they're not, they're still, you know, international quality players, but they're just not in the internationals at the moment. But then, you know, you go through our squad and you, you could probably say, so, so, you know, look at Saracens, as you, you say, you've got Barrett and Goode who probably could get into the Goode could definitely get into the England team I think and it surprises me that he isn't in it the form he's in he's Premiership Player of the Month for October so he's smashing it although how do you have a Premiership Player of the Month for October when there's been one round That's that baffles me a bit um, but anyway um, 
But then you look at our team, you go Ross Harrison probably could be in the England setup. Ben Curry probably should be in the England setup. Um, those you may have seen. I don't know whether you've seen this. I've only just noticed it because Sale tweeted it. But the Springboks have announced that they've released Faf to play for his club this weekend. Which is nice of them. Very, isn't? very generous. Yeah, very lovely. Um, yeah, so when you look at our squad, you go, okay, Faf's an international class player. James O'Connor is an international player. You know, James Salmoni is probably an international class player when, he, Van, when he's at form. Van Rensburg. So, yeah, Van Rensburg is definitely an international class player. So, I, I, honestly, I, I am really hopeful for a performance at least. If we can go down there and just show Saris that it got something about us, a win would be such a boost. It would just, you know, I think would really, really kickstart our season. I really hope we can do it. I do think it's still a big challenge to go away and play that Saris team, you know, that, that realistically is still really, really strong. But I, I don't, you know... For a long time, we've talked about weakness in our team, and I don't. Other than the, the sort of unknown quantity of Dupree in a Premiership game, where is the weakness? You know, I think we really, really do have a good chance. Here. I think you're absolutely right to do something pretty special. And any win away at Saracens, regardless of when it comes and you know what sort of team it comes against, is one to be you know treasured. So I really hope we can do it. Um, and I am genuinely feeling quite optimistic when you look at the team we can put out. Yeah, I mean, I think for years, I've all when the fixture list for the Premiership has been released, I've always looked at when Sale plays Saracens home and away and whether or not it falls into the international window. Because I always delude myself into thinking, well, actually, Sale don't lose that many internationals. Saracens will lose a good third of their squad to Tier 1 Nations. Maybe we'll have a chance to do something against uh, against Saracens. And then we go away and, and we usually lose by about 30 points. But this season, you look at that Saracens team, which is still a very, very good, uh, very, very good Premiership caliber team, looking at the prospective lineup that James has put together. But then you do look at sales and you think, well, actually, James O'Connor, Van Rensburg, Dupree, Solomona, Yard, obviously, if he was if he was fit, but unfortunately not uh, not this weekend. You look at these sort of calibers of players, notice that they're all actually in the backs, and you think, actually, even though Sale have lost a couple of players, they don't have Tom Corey, they don't have Chris Ashton, they don't have Josh Strauss, they have enough quality in the team to actually do something away at Saracens. Now, I think if both first teams were playing, it's unlikely that Sale would be able to get a result. But the fact is, even though Sale are missing players, they've built enough depth in the squad and enough good to great players without potentially being in that elite category to really do something. And I think this is where the smart acquisitions of players who are not on the international radar really pays off because John O'Ross has been one of the standout performers of the uh, Premiership since he joined Sale last season. But he's very unlikely to ever play for England, obviously. He's he's switched international allegiance. And so as a result, if you can build your squad, which Sale have with these players who are not in their international teams, like Van Rensburg, who are very, very good Premiership players, it means that you now have a really good opportunity, perhaps the best opportunity of any team in the Premiership, to go to games like Saracens away or Exeter away, if that fell in an international window, and actually get a result. Because short of maybe Newcastle or Gloucester, there are very few teams who have the quality of starting lineup that Sale have 
in an international period. And Saracens are obviously a team that has suffered significantly. It speaks volumes to the fact that Saracens, even with uh, even without their internationals who will be who will be missing at the weekend, are probably still a top six team. But the fact is, if you're ever going to get a result at Saracens, it has to be this weekend. Surely, this is the biggest barometer of where Sale are in the season. And I'm not even saying Sale have to win. But the fact is, you need to be going down there and making a competitive game of it. Because I think, as much as we just said this would be a fantastic opportunity for Sale to kickstart the season, I think at the same time, if Sale go down to Saracens get the game plan wrong, the conditions aren't in favour, whatever the reason, and get battered by 25, 30 points, that could be a really massive setback, especially after the consistent form and momentum the team have built up over the last couple of weeks. I think this is a re- this is not necessarily a season-defining game, but I think it is a very important game for the, the positive impact or the negative impact it could have on sales season. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the key is points. The key is to come away with points, not to come away empty-handed. Because I can take coming away with two points from Saris. You know, we go toe to toe. You know, get four be- four tries and a losing bonus point. Wait, even if we get a losing bonus point on four tries, I'm about to deal with it. But if we come away with zero points from this game, I do think there's, there's serious questions need to be asked about why the team isn't performing. You know, when that serious question, but. I think it would be a missed opportunity to not come away with some league points because, you know, performance is great, but realistically we're in a situation where we still do need to score points in the league rather than on the field. So uh, I think, you know, any form of sort of league points is, is the crucial thing for me. Um, I think as well, sorry, sorry to interject, but I think it's important actually after the slow start to season sale have had is that it's important to start picking up results in games that we wouldn't necessarily expect to win on paper. And obviously Saracens away is the perfect example of that. It's fell very serendipitously into an, in an international window, which now means that we've got the chance to genuinely get something out of this game. Whereas if you're drawing up the, the table as uh, as Asinine as it is at the start of the season, saying, well, we should probably beat X, Y and Z at home and we should probably we should probably lose away at these other teams, especially like Saracens. I think over the course of the season, if you are going to overachieve, you have to start picking up points uh, in games that you otherwise wouldn't expect to. And the fact is, so they've got lucky in that they're playing Saracens when they're going to be severely weakened. And it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity um, to do just that. Um, just quickly then, so this team that James has put together, uh, I'll run it through really quickly and we'll sort of discuss if there's any... Uh, Changes that Sale are likely to bring in uh, from the team that beat Leicester at the weekend. We'd imagine there will be. Uh, so the team that James has put together that he thinks might have a chance to play. Uh, Barrington, Tolafua, Lamasatelli, uh, Lama Day, Skelton, Rhodes, either Schalkberger or Kieran Clark, uh, Jackson Ray, Spencer, Max Mallins, Lewington, Barrett, Bosch or Tompkins, Strettel, and then Good. Alex, Obviously, we're going to see changes from the team that beat Leicester on Friday. But where do you think the most significant change Sale could make to the first team is? Is it a case of getting Van Rensburg back in at 12 or Bryn Evans in at 4? Or is it a case of making small changes throughout the lineup to counter uh, what will undoubtedly be a very tough uh, opponent in Saracens? I think Van Rensburg is a key because I think Carrie and he brings will really. I think, especially with Malins at 10, 
after watching him against Sale in, at the AJ Bell, I think there's an opportunity there to send Van Rensburg down his channel again and again and again because Sarri's, you know, are on the third choice ten because of the circumstances. So I really think that will be um, that will be the key change. Other than that, I don't think there's a lot else you'd really want to change. Other than the obvious one, De Klerk coming for Cliff, which I think would be the right call. Um, you know, in the forwards, I think Harrison. I, I'd be tempted to put Neil in, to be honest, at hooker rather than Weber. But then Weber had a really good day at the driving mall, and I think he's a solid thrower. So I think he'd probably end up going Harrison, Weber, John. Um, I, I, I would gen yeah I think Evans Evans Phillips because I think you need you need to do your basics well against Saris so you need to be hitting your lineouts and I think Weber and Evans is still our best lineout combination yeah definitely um, so I, I don't know what the situation with Ostrakov is but probably start start Phillips bring Ostrakov or Phillips and Ostrakov as the second rows in addition to Evans and who do you start it's difficult because Ostrakov's a better starter but. Phillips is more of a I suppose Phillips coming off the bench would actually be quite a good impact um, and then in the back row I would have probably have Ross Beaumont Ben Curry um, yeah. I think that's the other thing you need not only do you need Van Rensburg going at Malins on defence but I would have Curry going after him in attack um, just being that sort of seven like you know dog chaser uh, to go after him so I think that would probably be my team that I'd sort of accidentally on through the whole every position and, you know come up with that but I do think a couple of minor changes and we are really looking like a team that can beat Sarri you know you get out Sarri with a Springbok International a Springbok International a Springbok International an Australian International an England International as sort of year 9, 10, 11 sorry 9, 10, 12, 13, 14 well bloody hell we, it's, we've got a great team come together and I, I really am excited about what they can do, um, so I hope that you know we will we will make we'll bring in Van Rensburg, bring in the clerk, uh, bring in Evans. What you know that is three great players, not too much change in the squad, but really should bring that added quality that will separate us from that sort of Premiership Rugby Cup side to a proper Premiership side. Last one for me on sales potential lineup. Obviously, with Marlon Yard unavailable. Barry McGuigan potentially unavailable and Chris Ashton unavailable. How do you see the back three lining up for sale? So it's given that Solomona, who returned from injury on Friday, will play on one wing. Yeah. But then who goes to 15 and who goes to 11? Does Sam James play 15? Does James O'Connor play 15 and someone else comes into the sense? How, how do you envision that lining up? I'd have James Sam James 15. I think O'Connor um, at 13. If we, played in, if we played that combination last week, I don't see why you would change it this week. That would be odd. Yeah. The, the other wing is a difficult one. Um, I think it's probably going to have to be... I would still go dog with. Yeah. Just because I think it's quite harsh to start a raid in a game like this. But you do lose a lot of defensive stability with the dog with, so, you know, what... What do you do there? We haven't got a lot of choice, really. Um, it's a dog or read, really, isn't it? So I think I would, I would go dog out the two. Um, don't know whether you would agree. I assume James would go for read because he loves it. But. Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult because I, I still think Sam James is better thirteen, and I think James O'Connor could be very good at fifteen. But we've been playing 
those two players in those two positions. And so, like you said, it wouldn't really make sense to change them now. And it doesn't really solve the issue of wing. Unless you play, put James O'Connor uh, on the wing, Sam James at 15, and then maybe Mark Jennings, uh, Luke James at 12, Van Rensburg at 13. There's, there's a bit of outside-the-box thinking voice since since for what James O'Connor lacks in playing fly half he makes up for him being a very talented winger so that yeah, might yeah that is true Jennings uh, sorry but O'Connor on the wing that's where he played for Irish when he played over here and he, he tore us to pieces one game which I went to um, yeah I think I think I'd, I like that Van Rensburg O'Connor yeah. centre part too much I think yeah I mean I think I think in a perfect world we would have had time to just put O'Connor on the wing and just use him like yeah. that but I think given his rehabilitation from injury and how we've used the last couple of weeks it's clear that we're trying to build players into specific partnerships and positions and it looks like at the moment until Chris Ashton is back Sam James is, de- is um, deputising at 15 and Seller really keen to get that Van Rensburg-O'Connor um, combination in the midfield uh, working together so before we head out of here we should hopefully uh, make a welcome return to the Predictions League I hope you've been following this because we've had a lot of people asking about the Predictions League whilst you've been away uh, I think we're about five weeks since we last did an update um, is there an update on the Predictions League or are we starting afresh there's no update on the Predictions League I'll be perfectly honest um, but what there is is a return to Premiership Rugby so I think it's just two Premiership games Um so nice hopefully we've got some Newcastle predictions I can't remember um, but yeah going back to this um, predictions wise I will go with I'll be really optimistic and go Sale 28 Saracens 17 I'm going to go Saracens 21 Sale 17 I never ever I make a point of it never ever to bet against Saracens especially against Sale at home Sale twenty one, sale seventeen. Yeah, losing bonus point now. That's not too bad. And a competitive game, which would make a welcome yeah. change from from the last three or four seasons when Sale have gone down to Saracens. But obviously, we've got Alex back, and we've also hopefully got something resembling the predictions league back. So please do also send your predictions, and we'll be putting out a call for them later in the week. Please also send in uh, your scores from the quiz. We hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope somebody knows uh, a lot about Czech rugby just to make Alex eat crow. Um, Would you you like to know the answer to the question that you'll never get the answer to? Yes. That seems like a suitable way to end that in, doesn't it? Okay. I'm I'm, I'm ready for it. So actually, in, in preparation, thanks for listening. I've been Lewis. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll chat to you guys next week. Alex, finish on a high note. So, the Czech rugby player who played for South Sharks for a year from 1998 to 1999, making 11 appearances and scoring 20 points, which is a really good return. Um, I'll tell you a bit about him before I tell you his name. Um, no, actually, I'll tell you his name. His name is Jan Matacek, I believe. Um, he, I believe that's pronunciation. It's definitely his name. Definitely pronunciation. It's all Czech. Uh, he was born on the 15th of February 1972 in Prague. This is all from Wikipedia, so I'm assuming it's right. Um, he played for Slavia Prague, amateur Dunedin Pirates, Newport, South Sharks, Pontypridd, Clermont until 2003, at which point he went back to Czech. Um, he played his final match for the Czech Republic on the 16th of December 2009, 17-5 win against Hong Kong, and he was 37 years old, which is a really good mm-hmm. effort. Um, and he's now a CEO of a web design company. 
Um, so, I mean, what a life, what a man. Maybe we should try and get him on the pod at some point. Um, but that is Jan Machacek. Thank you for listening. Send in your scores. If anyone got that, a massive pat on the back from me. And that's all. We'll see you next week after hopefully a sale win at Saracens. And hopefully all three of us back together. Bye.